This is Wyman and Bob on Seattle Sports, powered through the Alaska Airlines Studio. Streaming live on the Seattle Sports app and at seattlesports.com. Now, here are your hosts, Dave Wyman and Bob Stelton. Welcome, everybody. It's Wyman and Bob. This is Seattle Sports on 710 and seattlesports.com. We are live at the Virginia Mason Athletic Center on a beautiful day. This is the one day we're inside a room with no windows, Dave. It's sunny outside. It's almost 60 degrees. Feels like it's headed towards summer, a little spring day. And here we are in our tiny little room at the Virginia Mason Athletic Center because we'll talk to John Schneider today. It's Thursday, every Thursday up until April 25th. We'll talk with the Seahawks GM. Uh, So he will join us today at 4 o'clock. You don't want to miss that. And our buddy Paul Moyer will be with us at 3 o'clock. But, yeah, bummer we're indoors on a day like this. That's not really what strikes me right now, that we're inside on a beautiful day. What What, strikes you, the see-through pants and baseball? (laughs) What's the point of pants if they're see-through? Why wear pants? I don't think they knew they were see-through, but that seems to be a complaint that Tony Clark's talking about. You're just going to read that and not follow up on it? I don't don't know that there is (laughs) follow-up. He says uh, the fabric is lighter. It's a challenge to have bigger numbers and letters, hence complaints that the back of the jerseys look, quote, amateurish uh, according to one more player the eggshell color of the pants the fabric is the same as last year creating a see-through vibe Hmm. (laughs) i thought maybe it was like uh sort of on the vibe of like too tight too revealing i guess it's the the eggshell color they said of the pants i'm not really sure but clark is uh getting a clearer picture of the complaints after visiting a half half dozen spring training camps in arizona um, he said each camp seemingly has a different issue, including some that are worried about supply chain problem, blah, blah, blah. So he just said universal concern is the pants. Okay. So, well, I mean, that's not more important than Paul Moyer and certainly not John Schneider. Certainly not. But uh, nobody but, wins with see-through baseball pants. No, I don't think so. Nobody's going to win there. But uh, all right. Uh, hopefully they get that rectified because, uh, again, that could scar children. Uh, but uh, meanwhile, we'll, we'll talk to Paul at three, John Schneider at four. Uh, base, I'm, I keep looking at videos from spring training. Not a cloud in the sky out there right now, Dave. It's going to rain when we get there. Don't bro. you dare say it. Don't you speak it into existence. Let It, it well, can you, rain next week. Next week's fine. The week after, we need clear, sunny skies. Well, and look, the, the weather people can't be trusted. I mean, they don't know. <laughs> they don't know. They really they don't, don't know, know what they're looking at. No. Yeah, it's, it, I was watching uh, a video Divish, I think it was Divish, posted. It was uh, our guy Logan Gilbert up there pitching to uh, Haggerty. And just music's going. It's from behind the behind home plate, you know, behind the fence. And you see the shot of the sky. It's sunny. There's not a single cloud, not a single white cloud out there. It's mm. just clear. It looks beautiful. Looks looks amazing. I cannot wait for baseball season to start. I've got a level of optimism about this team. Um, and <clears throat> we've, we've talked about this before, but when you when you look at this when you look at this roster. I, even the most cynical Mariner fan, you have to believe, just based how it's on, on how it's constructed, this is a better team than last year. Now, they need to play out. You need to see who's healthy, how, how available all these new guys can be, uh, who takes a step forward. There are a ton of questions that need to be answered. But if we're just looking at names, and one through nine, here's your lineup, here's your rotation, same as last year, uh, but just a year of experience under the belts of guys like Wu and Miller, and then the additions you've made to this lineup, I'm not sure how you don't feel this is a better team going in. And you guys can text in on that, 866-979-3776, powered by Mac and Jack's Brewing Company. 
just give a yes or no. Are they a better team, in your opinion, based on how they're constructed now than they were last year? They are, but not for the reasons of what they did in the offseason, in my opinion. Well, and I'll say this, that that excludes Ty France, because I think a lot of what goes on at driveline and what happens with Ty France, if, if he gets better, mm-hmm. then they're going to be a much better team. I'd say the same thing about Julio. If he avoids that whatever it was, 15, 16-game streak where he batted 123 at the end of the season, mm-hmm. and you know, and I'm not asking him to do what he did for a month and a half there, which was uh, August and, and part of September, where, I mean, he was, he was batting 389. Uh, he had, you know, 42 RBIs, 13 home runs. I mean, that is part of it. And then, you know, I think the rotation – is just better. You get better every year. You know, I think Kirby is going to be that much better, just the natural progression. But I'm not saying that because of who they signed, because there's too many. There's the track record over the last couple of years is that those guys that they have signed in the offseason have not worked out. They burned you. You, you feel scorned. A little bit, you know, and uh, I think everybody, and uh, look, I again, yesterday I talked about how Polanco I thought was sort of the turning point where everybody's like, okay, this guy's pretty good. There's still a big if there, I think, with his with his uh, injury status. I mean, typically he's a guy that, that misses games. So, you know, that same thing with Hanniger. I guess I'm okay. Same with Garver. Yeah, with same Garver with as well. <laughs> I mean, yeah, so mo- those two guys mainly pop pop into into my thoughts just because you know I, I feel like those are a couple of positions that really solve a, a problem for you but um yeah i mean if, if as far as who they signed in the off season that doesn't right now i'm just i'm not falling for it but i am i am falling for <laughs> not fooling me again <laughs> i mean ty france i think is gonna get better we know he can hit Again, we don't. You don't just all of a sudden become a crappy player. He understood. He was chasing. He was, you know, his, he was talking about his mechanics were a problem for years that finally showed up last year. Um, I just feel like I can bet on that. I think I can bet on Julio because I, I think he's going to be much more consistent and solid and not as emotional and you know more logical about it. I mean, he's growing up. He's older. He's more mature. Things like that. And then you know, as far as the rotation goes, as I mentioned, I, I think. Logan Gilbert, he, I know he added a couple of new tools to his weird bag, the weird stuff that he does. Uh, and, you know, you've got Kirby getting a year better. He kind of had that little flap. You grow from those things last year when he made mm. the comments of I shouldn't have been out there and things like that. And, and then, you know, we haven't even really talked that much about Luis Castillo and, you know, the rest of the lineup. So, I mean, look, I, I think, I, yeah, like I said, I'm not totally skeptical I think that these. I think Hanniger is due to have an injury-free season, but you know the the signings of of those guys. That is not what I'm basing it on. I'm basing it on the the players that they have. Ty France coming back, Julio right. being more steady, and the rotation taking a step forward. Did did last year's off season make you more pessimistic about this off season? I, I don't feel like you were as down on last year's additions. I was certainly way down and taken heat for being so negative about who they signed and i felt like you were more optimistic about well you know colton wong you look at his numbers in the past and pollock and blah 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 and now you've got this crop crop of guys with polanco and and garver and hanniger and you're kind of like i'm not falling for that i'm talking about the guys that are that's pretty much what i'm saying yeah yeah because and look so I you was... got burned by winker frazier and then last year's crop and now right. you're like 
I'm not. I'm not buying it. Not again. falling for it. <laughs> yeah, I, and look, there's lots of there's other reasons that I mentioned that I will. I think this is a better team, but I, I don't. I'm not going to bank on that because for whatever reason it just hasn't worked out. Now you could say maybe they're due, <laughs> much like Mitch Haniger staying healthy. But um, you know, because we were all pretty happy when they signed Frazier and, and Winker. Yeah, I mean that yeah. that was, and then last year we were kind of like, okay, let's love the hey, Oscar, see. love that addition. Everything yeah. else I hated. Yeah. Yeah, I didn't, didn't like it. I was uh, okay with Wong. I'm like, okay, he was an all-star at one point, or a, a golden glove. Mm-hmm. Um, and, yeah, it, I, I thought, okay, if he plays his best baseball. So, yeah, I mean, I, I just I think last year at the end of the year is when I was like, okay, what are they going to do this offseason? Because yeah. the last two have not worked out. I feel like we – of course, you talk to to beat writers from those cities. Tell us about this guy. We're not watching Jesse Winker. Tell us about him. And Gino Suarez, it was not a rave review from the right. guy that covered him. So you leave with a kind of negative impression. Same thing with Colton Wong. I was looking at his numbers. And I was like, geez, this guy had what, 17 errors or something. Then we brought on the beat writer. I don't know if you remember. He goes, actually, probably should have been more. He got some favorable hometown scoring. <laughs> I'm yeah. like, wait, what? It should have been more than that. And then when we talked to Colton about it, he gave us the, well, you know, it's the shift. It's it's the shift, and the angle of, that I'm picking the ball up off the bat is different, so it screws me up. And I'm thinking, yeah, but the shift didn't just come into existence that previous season. So no. that excuse <laughs> didn't make a ton of sense. So I think Colton the, Wong's a nice guy. but Super I, nice, but, yeah, that was that a was, weird excuse. And then I, was. I, I just feel like it the was. beat writers we've talked to the past two off seasons have kind of sent me, anyway, into a more negative feeling about, oh, great. They weren't singing their praise. By the way, somebody sent a picture of, I assume it's real, of what these see-through pants look like. <laughs> so you can kind of. <laughs> it's. Uh, I'll just say it's real lumpy. <laughs> it's oh, real lumpy. Goodness. Uh, yeah, that that I, was kind of a weird, weird I, picture there. I assume uh, it's real. <laughs> if it's real, then I think their their complaints are legitimate. I'll just say that. Yeah, uh, and you guys can text in eight six six nine seven nine three seven seven six, powered by Mac and Jack's Brewing Company. Thanks for that two oh six. I, I assume that's a real picture, but uh, but uh, yeah, it's I'm I'm more optimistic about this this off season. What they've added, I understand they come with a ton of caveats. It comes with a ton of ifs. What if? If they can? If he can? If? And it's all about availability. It's all about just being able to 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 be out there and be a part of it. And it's been problematic for a lot of these guys. So we'll, we'll see what they do. And that, and that's true with guys that don't have an injury history. I mean, man, if Julio goes down, that alters your lineup in a huge way, depending on how long he's out. And the same with JP and this, you just got guys you, you can't afford to be without at some point during the season, but 162 games, you, you never know. You never know what's going to happen. Interesting, you, you mentioned uh, Colton Wong. So I'm looking at his numbers. Uh, he was rookie of the year. He was it came in third uh, in the voting, and then uh, he was 20th in MVP. And he had a Golden Glove in both 2018 and 2019. So um, yeah, uh, I think that was there. There was plenty of reason to be optimistic there. So yeah, I, but I don't know. It just burned too many times, I guess. Um, I don't, you know. I think Polanco is probably the most quality guy that you know, as far as like what he's had. But 
there's there's the big injury thing. And actually, I, I'm okay with that. It's funny, you know, it's like, okay, if these guys miss a few games because they're hurt, well, they're hurt. I mean, you can't really. But if it's that they just are so inconsistent and can't hit, and, and things like that, you know, then that's that's what bothers me. So I'm okay. I'm a, I'm a little bit – I feel a little bit better about who they've signed just because it has to do with injuries. Mm-hmm. Maybe they get lucky. You know, we talk about that all the time, like with the starting rotation a couple of years ago. We got lucky. Yeah. But, um, you know, maybe maybe they'll get lucky. But, you know, that's basically hope, right? And hope's not necessarily a strategy, according <laughs> to some. Not really. So, yeah, I mean, I, I think – that part of it I'm okay with, but about, you know, the middle of last year, you started to go, well, that's what you get from these guys that you don't really know. They had one all-star appearance and, you know, now they sign a a contract and, you know, and and probably the guy who was, you know, the best deal was Gino and he was part of the salary dump, right? Yeah. That was, that was, you want Winker, you're taking this contract. See the, see the best free agent that we've signed in the last few years. Uh, he might be in terms of what he contributed. I was just so shocked, not shocked, but just surprised and pleasantly surprised how good he was at third base. Well, yeah, because the beat writer again (laughs) set our expectations very low. Uh, yeah, I'd have to go through everybody they've signed as a free agent because obviously Castillo came over in a trade. JP was a trade. So I'm trying to think of free agents that came over. It's a good question. Well, uh. We'll get to that. I'm sure some people can weigh in on that as well. But Scott Service uh, talking here says this is a, a hungry team with a guy with a group of guys that feel like they've got something to prove. I think it speaks to the number of players that are here early. Um, and we still have a very young team. We've got like, guys that have a lot to prove uh, yet. But you know, certainly with the way our season ended, uh, it was a sour note. And you felt it talking to guys throughout the offseason. As we made, you know, changes to the roster and, and whatnot, but you know, talking to the core players that are definitely going to be back here, you know, they have a little chip on their shoulder. It was hard to watch the the playoffs play out the way they did. Uh, two two teams in our division uh, getting to the championship series and one winning it all. So there's certainly uh, there's fire in the belly here, so to speak. Fire in the belly, and then he, he expands on it a little bit because he was asked why so many players arrived earlier this spring. Yeah, I think there's a couple uh, reasons for it. One, you talked about the desire to get back into it and get after chasing the new goal, getting into the playoffs. I think we have a few new coaches, uh, one being on the hitting side. We've kind of restructured our, our hitting coaches and kind of the responsibilities there. And Brant Brown, uh, working with Jared DeHart and Tommy Joseph, both Brant and Tommy live here in Arizona, very close to the complex. They're here. So inviting players to come down and work with them um, to start developing that relationship, um, it's really important. I know everybody thinks spring training is too long, but you're dealing with new coaches and and maybe some new ideas. You want to get with those people as soon as you can and and get the ball rolling, and that's what our players have done. The only person that thinks it's too long is Anthony Rendon, Scott, so don't worry about that. Uh, (laughs) But uh, Brant Brown, their offensive coordinator, I'm I'm curious to get down there and hopefully get a chance to speak with Scott or maybe even Brant. I just want to know in baseball, the role of an offensive coordinator. I'm just I'm so used to that being the football term, and we know what they do. I haven't heard that in baseball, so it's kind of unique. I know I don't think the Mariners are the only team with an offensive coordinator. You just don't hear that. At least I don't in baseball. Yeah, I'm very curious. Does it also have to do with the run game as well? You know, because <laughs> <I don't know. laughs> the, the run ge- is there a run game coordinator? Uh, yeah, yeah. I guess somebody. I, mean, I guess that would fall under his the, the base running. Yeah, I don't. I don't know. 
It's, it's going to be interesting. I, I like that they've got new eyes. They've got maybe some fresh perspective in there, and, and maybe they're going to be, you know, we'll figure out, is this going to be a power-hitting team? Is this going to be a home run, long ball team? Or are they going to start manufacturing runs? Are they going to start, especially when they get into situations with runners in scoring position, the way they kind of flailed last year, it felt like, well, if somebody doesn't, you know, gap one or hit one out of the park, they're going to be stranded out there. You know, there was there didn't seem to be a lot of manufacturing runs playing small ball, and maybe that we'll see more of that depending on what kind of lineup this ends up being. But um, one other thing Scott brought up, he said he, he talked about being proactive and giving guys uh, rest, giving the guys days off. I think the biggest thing is constant like communication with players. When you start to see fatigue or you start to uh, see things started to slide off a little bit, and, and sometimes even with guys like Mitch. Yeah, you might be proactive. You might want to give them a few days off before you start seeing that stuff, which is not really in my DNA. I'm kind of like the old school. If a guy's going good, you ride the hot hand as long as you can. Um, and maybe you have to look at that a little bit differently. And the value of giving a guy a day off may really help you two weeks down the road as you've got a long road trip coming up to the East Coast and things like that. So that probably plays more into my thinking than it has in the past. Yeah, I mean, you know, and you saw a guy like Gino last year who wanted to play in all 162. You know, and, and, and somebody – and he's right. You you want the hot hand out there. You want guys that are that are playing well. Teoscar played in 160. Julio played in 155. Uh, Crawford is a guy I know they want to get rest to, 145 games. Cal, 145. You know, you got to give him rest, especially behind the plate. It's, it's you know, he's going to have some DH days out there. So, yeah, you're, I mean, Ty France played in 158 games last year. Mm. So – yeah, you got to figure out ways, and maybe they feel like they're they're deeper because you've got a couple of guys who are utility. You know, whether you're looking at Rojas, whether you're looking at Dylan Moore, um, Canzone, you've got guys who can step in and and be that, you know, that 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 utility guy to fill some of these spots and give guys a break or just have them DH for a day. Yeah, you know, one of the things that um, you know we're talking about the uh, the run coordinator, or I'm sorry, offensive coordinator. I mean, you look at the number of um, of coaches that they have so it's like i don't know 14 or 15 are, are listed everything from you know bullpen catcher to bullpen coach to major league field coordinator things like that you have to say that you know with they have the traject machine i think they have a really good medical staff mm-hmm. um and and then you know you have all these coaches and and everything i feel like you know as far as ownership we talk about how they're not in on you know going after free agents and spending money there, but they do spend a lot of money on, you know, getting the right people in here, getting guys to, uh, you know, to go to, they're, they're fine with them going to, you know, other places to get help and things like that. So that's one thing you could say as far as ownership, I know they've kind of taken it on the lips a little bit, you know, from all the criticism that they're not, you know, all in as far as the, you know, going out and getting the big name, um, free agents, but I, I do feel like they do they do a really good job. Like this is a good franchise. They they run it really well, and they you know they spend lots of time and money on developing the players they have. All right, let's take two. A former Seahawks pass rush specialist, Coach BT Jordan, tweeted out earlier today that he's been hired as an assistant at Ohio State. Pass rush specialist last year. That was that was kind of a new new title wasn't it yeah i remember us talking about that well aaron curry was coaching the pass rushers uh the year before that okay and look i i think just because you didn't play that position you could still be a good coach but i don't know i didn't see some of the things that 
Like, I'll say this for, for BT Jordan. There was a few things out of Daryl Taylor that I saw in the run game that I'm like, okay, he's been working on it at least. Mm-hmm. You know, there, there was a couple of times where he did keep his shoulder square and did stuff like that. I just don't, I don't think that the defensive ends and the pass rushers um, got much information from Aaron Curry, I would say. And BT Jordan, I heard the exact opposite. Um, he had his own like clinic, and I can't remember what the name was, but it was about the science of pass rushing, basically. And so, yeah, good for him getting a, a job somewhere else. But I just don't think he he would fit in with uh, you know with the new new group of guys. Which hopefully we'll we'll hear a little bit more about at four o'clock when we talk to John. Can they just quit screwing around and get Cliff Averill in there to be that guy? I'll bet you they could. I, I'll bet you that Cliff has got he's got kids. I know that, and you know it's they, they use him a little bit, but yeah, hiring him full time I think it would be a challenge. And I think that's the case with because a lot he of, wouldn't want to commit that much time. Yeah, probably. I yeah. mean he's you're going to be over here for ten hours. I mean, well, make him an offer he can't refuse. Yeah, do that. You might be his agent. <laughs> Well, tough news to the Mets. Their ace, Kodai Senga, has a right shoulder strain. We'll start the season on the IL. And a guy who uh, I think John Morosi had mentioned once is maybe the Mariners might take a look at. Tim Anderson, he signed with the Marlins one year, $5 million. Yeah, that's that's huge news for Senga. I mean, boy, that's early to already be starting the season on the IL. So I don't, he obviously came in with something going on. Uh, Tim Anderson's a weird story because he was thought to be one of these, you know, up and coming superstars and had a, you know, just all this tremendous potential and blah, blah, blah. And next thing you know, we're seeing him start a fight, getting knocked on his keister, and nobody wants him on their team. Now he's signing a one-year in baseball dollars for a pittance, $5 million for yeah. one year for a guy who's young and was thought to be one of the, one of the potential superstars of the league. Every time you see, uh, you know, a, a headline like this, Mets ace, Kodai Sang- Senga, yeah. with the shoulder strain, do you... Does it just give you a little pang in your heart like, oh, God, I hope that doesn't happen to us? I just we've talked about it so many times that, you know, that season, two seasons ago where the Mariners had nobody miss a start in their rotation. We talked about it at the time like, hey, this is great. Don't get used to it. This is not how it goes. And then we saw last year they suffered a bunch of injuries. Guys miss starts, guys miss seasons, whether it's Marco or Robbie Ray. And now you're seeing before you throw a ball in anger, you got a guy, your ace starting of the season on the IL. So just not, just again, it's it's the cliche. It's not a matter of what if, it's when it happens with a pitcher. Uh, take two is brought to you by Swedish Cyberknife. Treat prostate cancer with Swedish Cyberknife. Swedish.org slash Cyberknife Prostate. Coming up, the Seahawks might have an uncomfortable decision to make this offseason. We'll weigh in on that as we continue live from the Virginia Mason Athletic Center. It's Wyman and Bob, Seattle Sports on 710. Wyman and Bob. Powered through the Alaska Airlines Studio. On Seattle Sports and the Seattle Sports app. We are live at the Virginia Mason Athletic Center. It's Wyman and Bob, Seattle Sports on 710. Coming up at 3 o'clock, Paul Moyer will join us for his weekly conversation. Again, 4 o'clock, episode 2, season 2 of the John Schneider Show. So make sure you stay tuned for that. Always uh, a fun conversation that everybody looks forward to, so that'll happen at 4 o'clock. We were talking about some tough decisions this team may have to make um, in regards to their, their salary cap because you got a number of guys. They don't have – we've talked about this before. They're, they're up against the cap, and depending on which site you look at, they're over the cap, which you, initially I'm kind of like, how is that possible? You don't, you don't have one of these huge 
contracts soaking up every bit of money like a like a Mahomes or a Dak Prescott or any of these, but they've got a couple of guys who have decent sized contracts. Whether you're talking about Quandre Diggs, Jamal Adams, Geno Smith, uh, DK Metcalf, and Tyler Lockett there's adjusting that's going to need to be made. And and I think that's going to be a, a delicate little uh, dance for John and the front office to make because you've got somebody like Tyler Lockett, who's got a nearly $28 million cap hit this season. So if they were to cut him post June 1st designation, just playing the hypothetical, they'd save almost $18 million on the cap. 17.95 is uh, the number. And Joel Corey, who's a CBS uh, sports salary cap analyst, he was on with, with uh, Bump and Stacy, and he talked about how, in his opinion, it made more sense for the Seahawks to move on from Lockett rather than trade DK Metcalf. Here's the bigger issue. If you're going to talk about 2024 draft capital, it's got a $24.5 million cap hit versus $23 million in dead money. You're saving $1.5 million on the cap and got to go out and get a number one receiver. If you're talking about receivers leaving, it's more likely to be Tyler Lockett if you look at it from what it would do from a salary cap standpoint. Almost $27 million cap hit. The dead money is getting close to $20 million on a conventional release, not a posting one designation, so you pick up 7-1 if you're going to try to not have the same receiving core as last year. So... The, to me, the the trading DK, unless you just get some ridiculous offer you never anticipated, to me that's a non-starter. I, I think it's a, a bad idea. Uh, but Tyler, it's interesting. We talked about this after the show yesterday, that there seems to be, if you just put a salary aside for a minute, for whatever reason, we were getting more texts, more response from people. Oh, Tyler, he's done. He doesn't. He's afraid to get hit. He's he's old. He's washed. He's. And I'm thinking, where is all the Tyler? hate coming from where, where does all this criticism come from you know and it, it's it's the first year he did have a down year in comparison he had just under 900 yards receiving i think he had what four touchdowns five five yeah previous he had previous to this previous four years in a row over a thousand yards every year we marvel every year about this guy is always open when when the play's falling apart and when it was russell or gino and they're scrambling around looking for somebody who's there it's tyler Right. And and we talked about any ball that's near his fingertips, we were stunned when he didn't make the catch. Yet there's this weird kind of, you know, just kind of bubbling under the surface with a certain element of the fan base going, oh, he's done, move on from, get rid of him. And I, I, don't, I don't get that. He's arguably, you know, the second, maybe third best receiver in the history of this organization behind Steve Largent, and I'd put Doug Baldwin in there too. Yet he's talked about like he's, he's an impediment. Yeah, which I don't really get, I don't get how the the opinion shifted on him the way it it seemed to with some this year. Yeah, I agree, and it's funny because you look at his numbers. I mean, he um, he had he had a pretty high uh, number of targets. Uh, I think this is his second highest number of targets, and he just didn't you know like you were mentioning the touchdown. So the last you know several what five or six years, ten touchdowns, eight, ten, eight, nine, and last year only five. And then um, as far as his target to to catch ratio was down a little bit, but yeah, it, that's a that's a tough one because. You know, and I, I think another guy that kind of falls into that category is Will Disley. We've been mm-hmm. kind of talking about him a little bit, and it's always so hard with with those kinds of players because, 
they're they're perfect individuals, right? They're the guys that, that you want on your team. Yeah. I mean, Tyler Lockett, there's been times where, you know, I remember for a while over the last three years, it just seemed like it was going to be like, this is a DK game. This is a Tyler Lockett game. They would kind of switch off, you know, and obviously you only have so many targets, so that's bound to happen. But it just seemed like uh, he, he went back and forth. And then on the the games where he didn't get targeted, never heard a peep from him. No, not no. a peep. He's been a model citizen. The other thing we, we talked about after the show is JSN had 93 targets yeah. as a rookie. By the way, nobody had a great catch to, to target ratio. You look at DK, you look at Tyler, you look at JSN. I think JSN was 93 targets, 63 catches. You know, there are 30 balls that he was targeted that, I, I mean, you, they can be the target. It could fly, you know, three feet over their head. They're technically the target there, so it's a miss. But it, nobody had a great, you know, Geno's completion percentage went down. He was just over 64% this year. So you saw that in the in the, the catch-to-target ratio with all those guys. Yeah. Uh, but, but him occupying a bigger space than anybody had previous to that. He hadn't really had a prominent third receiver. You've had more, and you've had Freddie Swain. You've had guys, but in terms of number of targets, ninety-three for a rookie. You hadn't seen that. Yeah, and that a lot of that took away from from Tyler, you yeah. know. And so, yeah, because you you go back and it's interesting. You mentioned David Moore. I was just looking at his um, the last uh, that was the last time there was a receiver that was the number three, um, you know, targeted player because. You know, DK and Tyler always, you know, they, they split, kind of go back and forth as far as those targets. But David Moore back in 2020, he only had 47 targets. He was our third leading receiver. Yeah. And he was really reliable, solid dude, had six touchdowns. You know, and, you know, you look at uh, that year, that was uh, DK had 129 targets and Tyler Lockett had 132. So, um, yeah, and then you had your tight ends in there for a while, but... I don't know. I mean, with JSN, I think he can develop into, if you want to be like the, you know, sort of be cold and calculating about it. Somebody was saying something about him not being a number one receiver. That dude can do anything mm-hmm. to me, JSN. He can be a slot guy. He can be your number three guy, whatever. Um, but, you know, I think this new offense, they might want to work the tight end in a little bit more. And I think a guy that's pretty underrated is Noah Fant. I think he is a, a really good receiver. So I guess what I what I'm saying is, you know that that might be something that they have to do. You know, I mean, look, that it's a sentiment. He's a sentimental favorite, and things like that. But I mean, if the new offensive coordinator comes in, if Ryan Grubb comes in, is like, yeah, not really big on on him, and you know, I'm, I'd much rather use the tight ends and things like that. That may be kind of one of those cold casualties that you you see. Same thing with Disley. I mean, he's just a great team guy. Everybody loves him. He's solid, but. He had a down year last year, and he made a lot of 17 mistakes. 17 catches. Yeah. 17 total catches for under 200 yards and one touchdown. I don't know. And we love Will. You couldn't find a, a nicer guy. He's, he reminds me of the Seahawks version of Cal Raleigh. He's kind of yeah. He's kind of mellow and nonplussed, just not really overly uh, animated about anything, but just a chill, nice guy. And he's shown he can be very good, but he was only targeted, I think, 22 times. You and I were looking at it last night. 17 catches. Hundred and what fifty some yards and a touchdown. I mean, that was just a kind of a non-existent year for him. And you you signed him to a pretty pretty decent contract. I mean, it's not in line with Jamal and Quandre and the other ones, but he, he's not making league minimum either. Yeah, he was the the ninth 
receiver yardage-wise on this team. What was it? Hundred? It was under two hundred. One seventy-two. One seventy-two. Yeah, and like you mentioned, I mean that the the reception to target ratio is really good, seventeen to twenty-two. So I mean, you could argue that they didn't throw on the ball. Yeah. Um, That's one much. game for Travis Kelsey right there. No kidding. I mean, a hundred yeah. under two hundred yards receiving and one touchdown. That's that's an average night for Kelsey. That was his whole season. Yeah, there. Gosh, I hate saying this, but you know they're. There was a couple of times I thought Will Disley, you know, some of the mistakes that he made. And, you know, look, I know that he, he knows it better than anyone. And it's really, you know, it's it's tough when you make, you know, make mistakes and mental errors and things like that. But there was a couple of times where he either jumped off sides or had a holding penalty and put him in kind of a, a pickle a few, a few times. Mm-hmm. And the only reason, again, this is kind of like Tyler Lockett dropping a pass. The only reason I really noticed it is because Will's such a solid dude. Yeah, such a solid uh, player and a guy that you, you know, always count on. All right. Coming up, there's another big change coming to college football. And we'll talk about what it means for teams like Washington State. Coming up next, it's Wyman and Bob live from the Virginia Mason Athletic Center. This is Seattle Sports on 710. Wyman and Bob. Powered through the Alaska Airlines Studio. On Seattle Sports and the Seattle Sports app. Coming up at 3 o'clock, Paul Moyer will join us on the program as he does each and every week here with Wyman and Bob, Seattle Sports on 710. We are live at the Virginia Mason Athletic Center where we will be talking to Seahawks President of Football Operations and General Manager John Schneider at 4 o'clock. You don't want to miss that conversation. Uh, but I, I saw this last night, Dave, and we, we've got the 14-team the college football playoff starting in uh, 2026. Or they, they want to start at 14, I should say. We haven't had the 12 yet. Right. We, and, the, <laughs> and they're already talking about that. Yeah. So the 12-team the playoff, uh, the, the first season is coming up. just and, and they're already batting around the idea of the 14 team and maybe even 16. Yeah. And I'm looking at it going, okay, initially I'm like, well, yeah, there are lots, there's, so much, there's a million college football teams. But how many of them are we going to get to a point where – all right, 14, 16, let's slow down. That's going to get diluted. We're going to be looking at, like, everybody complains about the NBA. Everybody makes the playoffs. I think the same is true in hockey to a certain extent, um, where it feels like middling, mediocre teams make the playoffs. Right. Is it – where's where's the point of no return? Where do you take – where does the specialness of, of achieving that end? What, where's that number? Well, you're just predicting. You're trying to predict, like, what kind of appetite people have for for college football and i don't it seems fast to me um i know with the new 12 team thing lefko and i were looking at it yesterday mike um what was it january 20th was going to be the national championship game i think yeah you're tacking on like two more rounds so it's yeah. gonna be a full uh, extra month of this playoff yeah so and then some of the the it, rules as a tw- that's as a 12 team yeah, that was yeah. the 12 team. So if you start, you know, with 14, 16, I guess it's going to go out another couple of weeks. And and I, I don't know, you know, I think um, as far as college football, the popularity goes, I mean, the NFL, obviously, people have a huge appetite for that. Mm-hmm. You know, and I've, I've wondered about college football. It's just so different because, like, every NFL stadium pretty much is packed, right? Yeah. But when you look at the Pac-12, you know, look at UCLA, USC, we'll, we'll see what happens with them joining the Big Ten. But um, I, I just don't know that there's the appetite for it. The NFL, absolutely. There, you, you know, you could, you could put games on every night. 
and it would get the best ratings of, of anything there is. I'm just not so sure about college football because it, I don't want to say it's regional because really like half the country is really into it. Mm-hmm. I mean, you look at those games at the Big Ten, um, you know, anywhere in the SEC, they're just packed like more than pro football games. Yeah, they pack out spring ball. And, yeah. Yeah. But, but you know, what about just like the consumption, you know, nationally um, trying to find that? And I mean, these are all pretty smart people that are putting this together. They think that it bears out at, at 14 or even 16 teams. Yeah. I'm I just... can't say that they're wrong. Yeah, I, I don't know. I, and you guys can text in 866-979-3776, powered by Mac and Jack's Brewing Company. At what point is it diluted, do you feel? Do you feel it's too much, that you're going to get teams in there that maybe aren't worthy of being in there? If it, is it is it going to be too much like the NBA or the NHL, where, again, people complain about, ah, everybody gets into the playoffs. You know, it's kind of a joke. Like, making the playoffs isn't special. Right. But yeah, big deal. Everybody does. Kind of like being bowl eligible, which I think is the dumbest term in, in college sports. Congrats on being mediocre. We were bowl eligible. You won six games. Ooh. Yeah. Well, well, color me impressed. <laughs> you know, then there's 40-plus bowl games at this point. So the, the specialness of that is gone. You know, because they've continued to add bowl games, and more and more teams are going to a bowl, and they're bowl eligible, and the and the the uniqueness or specialness of achieving that to me is completely diminished. So, are we looking at a situation if they go to fourteen or even sixteen that you're kind of looking at that the same way? Like, all right, you made the playoff, but so did fifteen other teams, or maybe seventeen other teams. I I don't know how far they'll take it. Yeah, I mean that's that's always a sort of delicate number of you know how how many teams do you you know make it how exclusive are the playoffs and that's the thing that's what makes it great right right? the exclusivity yeah absolutely so um yeah you look at what is there like 120 division one teams at one point it was 119 yeah so um you know and if you're talking about 16 teams that that are going to make it yeah i mean it's there's so many bad teams yeah I know they're in the, you know, that they're in the FBS or this or that, but not all teams are created equal as we've seen, right? I mean, you, right. you talk about the SEC and the, you know, the the Alabamas of the world and 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 Georgia and Clemson and all these blue blood programs that are there every year versus some of the teams that, yeah, there's technically the same level, same division, but they're but they're not. It's just not mm-hmm. equal. So I don't know. I just for me, I'm I'm not. I'm I'm a pro fan. I love I like college football, but I don't like it as much as I like the NFL. But for the diehard college football fans, of which there are many that will take college sports over pro sports any day of the week, for you, if you're one of those people, does this take away the specialness of the of the college football playoff? Do you feel like it's bordering on too many? I mean, that they're already planning for it before we've had the twelve team playoff. Mm-hmm. Force force felt too limited. That's that's too exclusive, and we've had. You know, the the Florida State thing happened this year where a team wins a Power 5 conference and they're not in, and I get all that. It needed to be expanded. Yeah. But before you've even gone to the 12-team playoff, where they're already discussing the 14- to 16-team playoff. Yeah, and also I would argue that a team like Florida State being left out of it, it kind of adds to the allure of the whole thing i don't i'm not so sure it necessarily screams hey we need to get more in there now i'm talking about going from four to to 12 i think is is okay but i don't know that who who gets jobbed is always kind of big news right yeah yeah and it's here's the other part it's sort of like the ncaa tournament where 
you know, you can expand that to whatever you want. Whoever's on the outside of it, team 65, team 68, whatever, is going to go, what about us? You know, that's going to be the same. If this goes to 16, there's going to be that 17th team going, we got screwed. How did we not make this tournament? So even if they go to 20, if they go to whatever number you want, they'll be that team that just missed it, that people will be kicking and screaming going, it's a travesty, uh, they're out to get them, they're not getting the respect, it's rigged, it's whatever. You're going to get all that nonsense. Yeah, here's somebody talking about. I was talking about the uh, the attendance and Pac-12 and stuff. And this is a this is a texter who's obviously stoned. Uh, he <laughs> says that the damn Kingdom had less attendance than a Stanford game in your days of playing. <laughs> you didn't go to a Stanford game in the '80s <laughs> and '90s. There's a picture of me over there, and there's quite a few fans behind me, but that's just right behind the bench. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, it was always about half full. And I, the kingdom, I mean, the 90s is when it really started to go down. But, like, remember, they didn't even have to advertise no. for tickets there was, there was or like anything. like a waiting list that yeah. was years long to even get when they were, tickets. Even when they were crappy. Yeah. Right? So, and then in the 90s, they, you know, and at the end of the 90s, they started actually having to advertise yeah. for it. That's when you know you you have it, right? When you don't even need to advertise. And that's kind of what, you know, in the in the Midwest and, you know, the Southeast, I mean, that's where you really see people are just, college football is everything. Oh, yeah. And I'm not sure if those people are really even both NFL fans and college fans. It seems like a lot of those types of, you know, like to us, the NFL is pretty much, pretty huge oh yeah now this year it was much more prominent because of the huskies the last couple years with what they've been doing but um i just wonder if that many if those people are also consuming nfl type of stuff i mean they seem to seems like the college football fans are very ardent in those those areas of the country well we'll uh we'll ask paul moyer about that and a bunch of other things there's a lot to catch up with uh with our guy paul moyer so he's going to join us next we continue live from the virginia mason athletic center it's wyman and bob this is seattle sports on 710